Section twenty of the French Revolution by Thomas Carlyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Thomas Carlyle. Volume one, book three, chapter eight. Lomenie's death throes. On the morrow, which is the third of May, seventeen eighty eight, an astonished parliament sits convoked, listen speechless to the speech of Desprimenil, unfolding the infinite misdeed deed of treachery of unhallowed darkness such as despotism loves denounce it o parliament of paris awaken france and the universe roll what thunderbarrels of forensic eloquence thou hast with thee too it is verily now or never the parliament is not wanting at such juncture in the hour of his extreme jeopardy the lion first incites himself by roaring by lashing his sides so here the parliament of paris on the motion of Desprimenil, a most patriotic oath of the one and all sort is sworn with united throat an excellent new idea which in these coming years shall not remain unimitated next comes indomitable declaration almost of the rights of man at least of the rights of parliament invocation to the friends of french freedom in this and in subsequent time all which or the essence of all which is brought to paper in a tone wherein something of plaintiveness blends with and tempers heroic valor and thus having sounded the storm-bell which Paris hears, which all France will hear, and hurled such defiance in the teeth of Lomanian despotism, the Parliament retires as from a tolerable first day's work. But how Lomany felt to see his cockatrice egg, so essential to the salvation of France, broken in this premature manner, let readers fancy. Indignant he clutches at his thunderbolts, de cachet of the seal, and launches two of them, a bolt for Desprimenil, a bolt for that busy Goeslard whose service in the second twentieth and strict valuation is not forgotten such bolts clutched promptly overnight and launched with the early new morning shall strike agitated paris if not into requiescence yet into wholesome astonishment ministerial thunderbolts may be launched but if they do not hit Desprimenil and goslard warned both of them as is thought by the singing of some friendly bird elude the lomini tipstaves escape disguised through sky windows over roofs to their own palais de justice the thunderbolts have missed paris for the buzz flies abroad is struck into astonishment not wholesome the two martyrs of liberty doff their disguises don their long gowns behold in the space of an hour by aid of ushers and swift runners the parliament with its councillors presidents even peers sits anew assembled the assembled parliament declares that these its two martyrs cannot be given up to any sublunary authority moreover that the session is permanent admitting of no adjournment till pursuit of them has been relinquished and so with forensic eloquence denunciation and protest with couriers going and returning the parliament in this state of continual explosion that shall cease neither night nor day waits the issue awakened paris once more inundates those outer courts boils in floods wilder than ever through all avenues dissonant hubbub there is jargon as of babel in the hour when they were first smitten as here with mutual unintelligibility and the people had not yet dispersed paris city goes through its diurnal epochs of working and slumbering and now for the second time most european and african mortals are asleep but here in this whirlpool of words sleep falls not the night spreads her coverlet of darkness over it in vain within is the sound of mere martyr invincibility tempered with the due tone of plaintiveness without is the infinite expectant hum growing drowsier a little so has it lasted for six and thirty hours but hark through the dead of midnight what tramp is this 
tramp as of armed men foot and horse garde de francaise garde de suisse marching hither in silent regularity in the flare of torchlight there are sappers too with axes and crowbars apparently if the doors open not they will be forced it is captain d'auguste missioned from versailles d'auguste a man of known firmness who once forced prince conde himself by mere incessant looking at him to give satisfaction in fight he now with axes and torches is advancing on the very sanctuary of justice sacrilegious yet what help the man is a soldier looks merely at his orders impassive moves forward like an inanimate engine the doors open on summons there need no axes door after door and now the innermost door opens discloses the long-gowned senators of france a hundred and sixty-seven by tail seventeen of them peers sitting there majestic in permanent session were not the men military and of cast iron this sight this silence re-echoing the clank of his own boots might stagger him for the hundred and sixty-seven receive him in perfect silence which some liken to that of the roman senate overfallen by brennus some to that of a nest of coiners surprised by officers of the police monsieur said d'auguste de par le roi express order has charged d'auguste with the sad duty of arresting two individuals m duval de spriminil and m goslar de Montsabert, which respectable individuals as he has not the honour of knowing them are hereby invited in the king's name to surrender themselves profound silence buzz which grows a murmur we are all de spriminis ventures a voice which other voices repeat the president inquires whether he will employ violence captain d'auguste honoured with his majesty's commission has to execute his majesty's order would so gladly do it without violence will in any case do it grants an august senate space to deliberate which method they prefer and thereupon d'auguste with grave military courtesy has withdrawn for the moment what boots it august senators all avenues are closed with fixed bayonets your courier gallops to versailles through the dewy night but also gallops back again with tidings that the order is authentic that it is irrevocable the outer courts simmer with idle population but d'auguste's grenadier ranks stand there as immovable floodgates there will be no revolting to deliver you monsieur thus spoke de spriminil when the victorious gauls entered rome which they had carried by assault the roman senators clothed in their purple sat there in their curial chairs with a proud and tranquil countenance awaiting slavery or death such too is the lofty spectacle which you in this hour offer to the universe after having generously with much more of the like as can still be read in vain o Brimenil, here is this cast-iron captain d'auguste with his cast-iron military air come back despotism constraint destruction sit waving in his plumes Disprimenil must fall silent heroically give himself up lest worse to befall him goslard heroically imitates with spoken and speechless emotion they fling themselves into the arms of their parliamentary brethren for a last embrace and so amid plaudits and plaints from a hundred and sixty-five throats amid wavings sobbings a whole forest sigh of parliamentary pathos they are led through winding passages to the rear gate where in the grey of the morning two coaches with exempts stand waiting there must the victims mount bayonets menacing behind Disprimenil's stern question to the populace whether they have courage is answered by silence they mount and roll and neither the rising of the may sun it is the sixth morning nor its setting shall lighten their heart but they fare forward continually Desprimenil towards the utmost isles of sainte marguerite or yeres supposed by some if that is any comfort to be calypso's island goslard towards the land fortress of pierre on seas 
extant then near the city of Lyon. Captain d'Auguste may now therefore look forward to majorship, to commandantship of the Tuileries, and withal vanish from history, where nevertheless he has been fated to do a notable thing, for not only are Desprimenil and Goslard safe whirling southward, but the Parliament itself has straightway to march out. To that also his inexorable order reaches. Gathering up their long skirts, they file out, the whole hundred and sixty-five of them, through two rows of unsympathetic grenadiers, a spectacle to gods and men. The people revolt not. They only wonder and grumble. Also, we remark, these unsympathetic grenadiers are Garde Francaise, who one day will sympathize. In a word, the Palais de Justice is swept clear. The doors of it are locked, and D'Auguste returns to Versailles with the key in his pocket, having, as was said, merited preferment. As for this Parliament of Paris, now turned out to the street, we will without reluctance leave it there. The beds of justice it had to undergo, in the coming fortnight, at Versailles, in registering, or rather refusing to register, those new hatched edicts, and how it assembled in taverns and taprooms there, for the purpose of protesting, or hovered disconsolate, without spread skirts, not knowing where to assemble, and was reduced to lodge protest with a notary, and in the end, to sit still in a state of forced vacation, and do nothing. All this, natural now as the burying of the dead after battle, shall not concern us. The Parliament of Paris has as good as performed its part, doing and misdoing, so far, but hardly further could it stir the world. Lomini has removed the evil, then? Not at all. Not so much as the symptom of the evil, scarcely the twelfth part of the symptom, and exasperated the other eleven. The intendant of provinces, the military commandants, are at their posts, on the appointed 8th of May. But in no Parliament, if not in the single one of Douai, can these new edicts get registered. Not peaceable signing with ink, but browbeating, bloodshedding, appeal to primary club law, against these beages, against this plenary court, exasperated Themis everywhere, shows face of battle. The provincial noblesse are of her party, and whoever hates Lomini in the evil time. With her attorneys and tipstaves, she enlists and operates down even to the populace, at Rennes in Brittany, where the historical Bertrand de Molville is intendant. It has passed from fatal continual dueling between the military and gentry, to street fighting, to stone volleys and musket shot, and still the edicts remain unregistered. The afflicted Bretons send remonstrance to Lomini, by a deputation of twelve, whom, however, Lomini, having heard them, shuts up in the Bastille. A second larger deputation he meets, by his scouts, on the road, and persuades or frightens back. But now a third largest deputation is indignantly sent by many roads, refused audience on arriving it meets to take counsel invites lafayette and all patriot bretons in paris to assist agitates itself becomes the breton club first germ of the jacobin society so many as eight parliaments get exiled others might need that remedy but it is not always easy of appliance at grenoble for instance where a mounier a barnave have not been idle the parliament had due order by lettre de cachet to depart and exile itself but on the morrow Instead of coaches getting yoked, the alarm bell bursts forth ominous and peals and booms all day. Crowds of mountaineers rush down, with axes, even with firelocks, whom, most ominous of all, the soldiery shows no eagerness to deal with. Axe overhead, the poor general has to sign capitulation, to engage that the lettre de cachet shall remain unexecuted, and a beloved parliament stay where it is. Besançon, Dijon, Rouen, Bordeaux are not what they should be. At Pau and Bayarn, where the old commandant had failed, the new one, a Grammont, native to them, is met by a procession of townsmen with the cradle of Henri IV, the palladium of their town. 
is conjured as he venerates this old tortoise-shell in which the great henri was rocked not to trample on bearnese liberty is informed withal that his majesty's cannon are all safe in the keeping of his majesty's faithful burghers of pau and do now lie pointed on the walls there ready for action at this rate your grand voyage are like to have a stormy infancy as for the plenary court it has literally expired in the birth the very courtiers looked shy at it old marshal Breuil declined the honor of sitting therein assaulted by a universal storm of mingled ridicule and execration this poor plenary court met once and never any second time distracted country contention hisses up with forked hydrotongues wheresoever poor lomeny sets his foot let a commandant a commissioner of the king says weber enter one of these parliaments to have an edict registered the whole tribunal will disappear and leave the commandant alone with the clerk and first president the edict registered and the commandant gone the whole tribunal hastens back to declare such registration null the highways are covered with grand deputations of parliaments proceeding to versailles to have their registers expunged by the king's hand or returning home to cover a new page with a new resolution still more audacious such is the france of this year seventeen eighty eight not now a golden or paper age of hope with its horse racings balloon flyings and finer sensibilities of the heart ah gone is that its golden effulgence paled be darkened in this singular manner brewing towards preternatural weather for as in that wreck-storm of paul et virginie and saint pierre one huge motionless cloud say of sorrow and indignation girdles our whole horizon streams up hairy copper-edged over a sky of the colour of lead motionless itself but small clouds as exiled parliaments and such like parting from it fly over the zenith with the velocity of birds till at last with one loud howl the whole four winds be dashed together and all the world exclaim there is the tornado tout le monde s'écrie voilà l'ouragan for the rest in such circumstances the successive loan very naturally remains unfilled neither indeed can that impost of the second twentieth at least not on strict valuation be levied to good purpose lenders says weber in his hysterical vehement manner are afraid of ruin tax-gatherers of hanging the very clergy turn away their face convoked an extraordinary assembly they afford no gratuitous gift if it be not that of advice here too instead of cash is clamour for states-general o lomini brienne with thy poor flimsy mind all bewildered and now three actual cauteries on thy worn-out body who art like to die of inflammation provocation milk diet d'autre vive and maladie best untranslated and presidest over a france with innumerable actual cauteries which also is dying of inflammation and the rest was it wise to quit the bosky verdures of brienne and thy new ashlar chateau there and what it held for this soft were those shades and lawns sweet the hymns of poetasters the blandishments of high-rouged graces and always this and the other philosophe Marelet, nothing deeming himself or thee a questionable sham priest could be so happy in making happy and also hadst thou known it in the military school hard by there sat studying mathematics a dusky-complexioned taciturn boy under the name of napoleon bonaparte with fifty years of effort and one final dead-lift struggle thou hast made an exchange thou hast got thy robe of office as hercules had his nessus shirt on the thirteenth of july of this seventeen eighty eight there fell on the very edge of harvest the most frightful hailstorm scattering into wild waste the fruits of the year which had otherwise suffered grievously by drought for sixty leagues round paris especially the ruin was almost total to so many other evils then 
there is to be added that of dearth, perhaps of famine. Some days before this hailstorm, on the 5th of July, and still more decisively some days after it, on the 8th of August, Lomini announces that the States-General are actually to meet in the following month of May, till after which period this of the plenary court and the rest shall remain postponed. Further, as in Lomini there is no plan of forming or holding these most desirable States-General, thinkers are invited to furnish him with one, through the medium of discussion by the public press. What could a poor minister do? There are still ten months of respite reserved. A sinking pilot will fling out all things, his very biscuit-bags, lead, log, compass and quadrant, before flinging out himself. It is on this principle of sinking, and the incipient delirium of despair, that we explain likewise the almost miraculous invitation to thinkers, invitation to chaos to be so kind as build, out of its tumultuous driftwood, an arc of escape for him. In these cases not invitation but command has usually proved serviceable. The queen stood that evening, pensive, in a window, with her face turned towards the garden. The chef de Goblet had followed her with an obsequious cup of coffee, and then retired till it were sipped. Her majesty beckoned Dame Campon to approach. Grand Dieu, murmured she with the cup in her hand, what a piece of news will be made public to-day. The king grants states-general. Then raising her eyes to heaven, if Campon were not mistaken, she added, tis a first beat of the drum, of ill omen for France. This noblesse will ruin us. During all that hatching of the plenary court, while Lamagnon looked so mysterious, Bazonval had kept asking him one question, whether they had cash, to which, as Lamagnon always answered on the faith of Lomini, that the cash was safe, judicious Bazonval rejoined that then all was safe. Nevertheless, the melancholy fact is that the royal coffers are almost getting literally void of coin. Indeed, apart from all other things, this invitation to thinkers and the great change now at hand are enough to arrest the circulation of capital and forward only that of pamphlets a few thousand gold louis are now all of money or money's worth that remains in the king's treasury with another movement as of desperation lomini invites necker to come and be controller of finances necker has other work in view than controlling finances for lomini with a dry refusal he stands taciturn awaiting his time what shall a desperate prime minister do he has grasped at the strong-box of the king's theatre some lottery had been set on foot for those sufferers by the hailstorm. In his extreme necessity, Lomini lays hands even on this. To make provision for the passing day, on any terms, will soon be impossible. On the 16th of August, poor Weber heard, at Paris and Versailles, hawkers, with a hoarse stifled tone of voice, drawling and snuffling, through the streets, an edict concerning payments, such was the soft title Riverol had contrived for it. All payments at the royal treasury shall be made henceforth, three-fifths in cash, and the remaining two-fifths in paper-bearing interest. Poor Weber almost swooned at the sound of these cracked voices, with their bodeful raven note, and will never forget the effect it had on him. But the effect on Paris, on the world generally, from the dens of stock brokerage, from the heights of political economy, of neckerism and philosophism, from all articulate and inarticulate throats, rise hootings and howlings, such as ear had not yet heard. Sedition itself may be imminent. Monsignor d'Artois, moved by Duchesse Polignac, feels called to wait upon Her Majesty, and explain frankly what crisis matters stand in. The Queen wept. Brienne himself wept, for it is now visible and palpable that he must go. Remains only that the court, to whom his manners and garrulities were always agreeable, shall make his fall soft. The grasping old man has already got his archbishopship of Toulouse exchanged for the richer one of Sens and now in this hour of pity he shall have the coadjutorship for his nephew hardly yet of due age 
a dameship of the palace for his niece, a regiment for her husband, for himself a red cardinal's hat, a coupe de bois, cutting from the royal forests, and on the whole from five to six hundred thousand livres of revenue. Finally his brother, the Comte de Brienne, shall still continue war minister. Buckled round with such bolsters and huge feather-beds of promotion, let him now fall as soft as he can. And so Lomini departs, rich if court titles and money-bonds can enrich him, but if these cannot, perhaps the poorest of all extant men. Hissed at by the people of Versailles, he drives forth to Jardy, to Brienne, for recovery of health, then to Nice, to Italy, but shall return, shall glide to and fro, tremulous, faint twinkling, fallen on awful times, till the guillotine snuff out his weak existence? Alas, worse, for it is blown out, or choked out, foully, pitiably, on the way to the guillotine. In his palace of Sons, rude Jacobin bailiffs made him drink with them, from his own wine-cellars, feast with them from his own larder, and on the morrow morning the miserable old man lies dead. This is the end of Prime Minister, Cardinal Archbishop, Lomini de Brienne. Flimsier mortal was seldom fated to do as weighty a mischief, to have a life as despicable envied, an exit as frightful, fired as the phrase is, with ambition, blown like a kindled rag, the sport of winds, not this way, not that way, but of all ways, straight towards such a powder-mine, which he kindled. Let us pity the hapless Lomini, and forgive him, and as soon as possible forget him. End of section 20